Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show, conference previews, Doug and Shahan. Shahan, we did this last summer. We're doing it again. We're going through the five major conferences. We'll do playoff previews for each of them. We're starting with the Big 12. Big 12 Media Days, July 12th and 13th. We wanted to get these in ahead of the Media Days. Everybody shows up. They shake hands. They slap back. Everybody has a good time. You do learn things there, but we want to think where we are now. So we have categories, playoff contenders, spoilers, biggest games, that kind of thing. But as we look at the Big 12, Shahan, my question is this, and I was trying to think of how to phrase this correctly. Does the Big 12 have the best bottom in college football? And that sounds like I'm talking about a, a Z Cavaricci jeans ad. Where's the Rutgers? This is also could be a, a, a fun game. It's like, where's Waldo? It's like, where's the Rutgers? Find the Rutgers in your own conference. And if you look around and there is no Rutgers, maybe you're Rutgers. <laughs> I don't know. Where the easy wins are in this conference this year, when Lance Leipold gets it going at Kansas, because Kansas used to be the Rutgers, when they're competitive and more than competitive, they were 5-0 and last year, when they're competitive, and then you think about, yeah, they're adding four new teams, but Houston, UCF, BYU, and Cincinnati, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there are easy wins there. It affects the playoff picture for the Big 12, Shahan. How good is the bottom of this conference, and are there going to be easy wins out there for anybody trying to make the playoff? Before we get to that, what kind of gene ad? What did you say? I said I, my wife references this all the time. Z Cavaricci. What on earth is that? I, I'm not sure. That might have been just a, a, a name brand on the Cosby Show. No, Z Cavaricci. <laughs> the real thing. Because there was the Gordon, Gordon Gartrell was on the Cosby show when Theo wanted a Gordon Gartrell shirt. And then Lisa Bonet made him a shirt and it was terrible. And he came down the steps and everybody was like, look at that terrible shirt. I don't know if people can watch the Cosby show anymore. But once upon a time, it was all about like fashion and like fashion. To, do the clothes really make the person? Or does the person make the clothes? I think Theo learned a valuable lesson on that episode. Z Cavaricci, you can look it up. It's a fancy kind of jeans. Fancy jeans that my wife could not afford. As a young child, and I think her her mom had to make her a fake pair of Z Cavaricci jeans. So again, we are like this is like black and white era for Shahan. This is like is this? <laughs> I was born years ago? in nineteen ninety four, just for the record. So I I have no clue what you're talking about. Eighties jeans culture is a little beyond. You know a lot of stuff. You don't know a lot about eighties <laughs> jean culture. It was quite a time. <laughs> Anyway, Gordon Gartrell, have you ever watched? Have you ever watched the Cosby Show? Have you ever watched the Cosby Show? I've like seen it on. I don't think I remember like watching an episode. Yeah, I watched a lot. I watched a lot of Cosby Show back in the day. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Maybe that can be our next watch along. It'll be great. Um, so <laughs> first, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley. Number two, the Gordon Gartrell Theo episode of the Cosby Show. <laughs> 
<laughs> if anybody listening to this knows what I'm talking about, please uh, send me an email because it'll make me feel better. And, and also schedule a schedule, you know, what is it? Uh, what is it that you have to get when you turn 40 or 50? I don't know. Anyway, schedule some doctor appointment. It's probably time. Uh, <laughs> a colonoscopy? A yeah, colonoscopy. No, that's I'm, what I'm thinking. A colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. There we go. Anyway. I have a whole colonoscopy story. We could go there if you want to also, but I don't think we do. We want to talk about the bottom of the... Speaking of bottoms. Yeah, no, we, we don't need to go to that bottom. <laughs> anyway, 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 let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. Big 12. So. If you look at the SP Plus rankings over at ESPN, there are 63 teams that are considered positive value in college football, right? Uh, you know, there's, they sort of set a median. And if you're a below average team, then you, you have a negative number. If you have an above average, you have a positive number. And this is impacted by the fact that uh, that recent history is factored in. But the lowest team in the Big 12 is Kansas at number 61 with a plus 0.9. So every team in the Big 12 is considered a positive FBS team. And if you look outside of Kansas, who, again, I think their number is a little misrepresentative because of recent history, the next lowest is West Virginia at plus three, 56. So when you're asking, actually, BYU also at 60. So like, but still a plus 1.8. So when you're talking about the bottom of the Big 12, you are talking about an entire conference where teams are positive. Because, for example, Indiana, minus 3.4. They're 71st. Rutgers, minus 4. They're 73rd. Boston College, minus 4.2. Right? Like, like, there are a number of Power 5 teams that have extremely low numbers. Northwestern, 83rd at minus 6.7. The Big 12 has none of those teams. Every single team in the Big 12 should consider themselves a top-half team in college football Every team in the Big 12 should reasonably consider a bowl game in the realm of possibility. And I think you're absolutely right. It's going to make every single week in the Big 12 absolute hell for everybody because every single team can conceivably lose almost every single game every week. And this will, one of the things we're going to talk about at the end is how many playoff teams do we think the Big 12 will have this season? And how many do we think they would have if we were in a 12-team world right now? And this is where this depth conversation really gets interesting. Looking at quarterbacks in the Big 12, the expected starting quarterbacks, I have 11 of the 14 expected starting quarterbacks in the Big 12 with double-digit career starts. There are eight returning starters. There are three other projected starting quarterbacks who are transfers who were starters at a previous stop. So that's 11. Chandler Morris is going to start at TCU. He won the job last year, got hurt. Max Duggan took over. Max Duggan is a Heisman finalist. TCU is the national title game. So it's like, oh, well, Chandler Morris, he has the second fewest starts of the projected starting quarterbacks in the Big 12. He has three, but like he's Chandler Morris. They thought he was the guy last year. He beat out the guy who finished second in the Heisman. And that's sort of like the bottom end of experience in the Big 12. Donovan Smith, as the Houston quarterback, he's relatively inexperienced compared to a lot of these other guys. He has eight career starts. He set te- he was awesome at Texas Tech last year when he played, and now he's at Houston to be the starting quarterback because Tyler Shuck came back to be the starter at Texas Tech. Like The quarterback play in this league, Shahan, there are so many veterans led by 37 career starts from Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. You have Keaton Slovis as a transfer who's been 
everywhere in college football. He has 37 career starts. He's going to be the starter at BYU. You think about John Reese Plumley as the returning starter at UCF. He has 21 career starts. Emory Jones is a transfer at his third stop at Cincinnati. He has 20 career starts. He's the expected starter at Cincinnati. Jalen Daniels, 18 career starts. Again, was was in the Heisman conversation in early October last year before he got hurt at Kansas. Maybe, like some places, the, the first team preseason all Big 12 quarterback. There's just so Will Howard at Kansas State, Blake Shapin at Baylor, Tyler Shuck at Texas Tech, Quinn Ewers at Texas. There are so many guys, Shahan, who have, I still think, like potential, but also experience. There are There is almost nobody. The least experienced guy is Garrett Green at West Virginia, and he showed a little bit last year that got some people really excited about Garrett Green. He beat Oklahoma. The, the quarterback play, there are almost – no complete question marks. There is a lot of experience and a lot of potential in this group, Shahan, which again leads to, I think there are quarterbacks throughout this league that on any given Saturday can win a game that you don't expect their team to win, which is absolutely going to influence this playoff race. No, and and you know there are a couple quarterbacks on this list. I think you mentioned some of the guys at the bottom, like a Donovan Smith, like a Garrett Green who are also just agents of chaos in their own ways. Like Donovan Smith has these games where he just goes out there and throws for four touchdowns. And then he has these other games that he throws for two interceptions and fumbles. But like the fact that you don't know what you're going to get mixed with one of the most unpredictable coaches, by the way, in college football in Dana Holgerson, just ultimate chaos. And, you know, so, so I think a, a week ago or two weeks ago, I put out my, predictions for every single game in the big 12 which is a huge undertaking by the way but i picked every single game i had houston beating texas the team that i have winning the big 12 and this is sort of the reason why because i think that any given week something insane can happen and like you said i don't think that there is an obvious below average fbs starter in the big 12 garrett green is probably the closest but He's talented for sure. And just the baseline that these teams are going to be playing with, I think, is just a really impressive place to start. There are going to be guys who don't work out. I'm not the biggest Emory Jones fan, for example. But, I mean, when Emory Jones is your basement, that's pretty good. Yeah. Former starter at Florida, former starter at Arizona State, now coming to Cincinnati. One of the more perhaps unsettled quarterback situations is at the program that maybe has been the best overall program at the Big 12 for the past 10 years, which is Oklahoma State? Are we expecting Alan Bowman to be the starter there after kind of getting recycled through, you know, he was at Michigan for a couple years where he really didn't do anything at Michigan, had been a previous starter at Texas Tech. They lose their starter. Spencer Sanders goes to Ole Miss, right? So like Oklahoma State's in transition, but even in transition, they have a guy who's made 16 career starts. It's not total unknown. But that probably is as uncertain for a guy in Mike Gundy who's going to be in year 19, by far the longest tenured uh, coach in the Big 12. That may be as unsettled or, and maybe you know the lowest ceiling compared to a lot of other teams in the Big 12. But it's Oklahoma State, man. It's Oklahoma State. So quarterback play, I think we agree. There's, there's is going to be a high floor and some really interesting peaks 
week to week where it's like, hey, did you hear Tyler Shuck threw for five touchdowns? Hey, did you hear Donovan Smith accounted for 450 yards? Hey, did you hear, you know, Will Howard went nuts and led Kansas State to a huge win? That's going to happen. The other thing is there's only one new coach of these 14 teams. So last year, there were three new coaches in the Big 12, and they were big-time moves. Brent Venables at Oklahoma, Sonny Dykes at TCU, and Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. That's a huge, that's a sea change of like, hey, this is, this is kind of a new conference. Now, Scott Satterfield at Cincinnati is the only new guy, and that's not a firing. That's Luke Fickle leaves and goes to Wisconsin, so they get Scott Satterfield from Louisville. There's, there's not many programs in flux, right, that, that, yeah, Brent Venables and Joey McGuire and are trying to get their feet under them a little bit, but there are a lot of established coaches in the Big 12. You know, Steve Sarkeesian needs to show something at Texas, but you talk about Chris Kleiman at Kansas State and Dave Aranda at Baylor. We talked about Mike Gundy, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. I think there's maybe only one guy on the hot seat in the Big 12, which again is there's not that many new guys, and I think there might be only one guy who's coaching for his job this year. What do you think about the coaching and specifically the coaching stability in the Big 12? No, I think you're right. And that one guy is Neil Brown at West Virginia, who is somebody who people that is correct. think might have been gone after last season. But West Virginia ultimately makes an athletic director change. Now, also, by the way, they're having to hire a new basketball coach. So not as big of a priority as uh, maybe it was previously. But no, I think you look across the rest of the conference. There are definitely coaches who could find themselves in trouble with a bad season this year. But there's not an obvious candidate. I mean, the fact that all 10 continuing Big 12 programs brought back their coaches is frankly pretty insane. I mean, that is not something that we're used to seeing is that level of stability. And, you know, we we talked about the coach rankings that, that uh, CBS did a few weeks ago. I mean, you're talking about a Chris Kleiman at the top. You're talking about a Sonny Dykes at the top. You're talking about Dave Aranda moving up. You're talking about Mike Gundy and what he's done over many years. I mean, look, the, the story of this conference, to put it simply, is that there are no weak links. We'll see how yep. strong the strongest links are. But the my goodness, I mean, top to bottom, this is going to be an insanely competitive conference. And... I think that you look at this 2023 season, it's a unique year because it's going to be the only year that the Big 12 is at 14 teams before Texas and Oklahoma leave. And I, I really, you know, I again, I picked every single game a few weeks ago. This was the hardest version of this that I've had to do in recent years because I really think, again, to, to reiterate, anybody can be anybody. And I think that uh, if you told me that Basically, anybody except for West Virginia jumped up and made the Big 12 title game. I don't think it would really shock me. Can I admit something here that a, a person who's employed as a professional sports guy should not admit? I, I didn't know that Bob Huggins actually quit. I was – I know <laughs> – you were, you were a little occupied while this was going on. Uh, I, I know he said the, the offensive stuff, the, um, the bigoted stuff. But I was in Europe when he quit. And, I, and until you just said that, I was like, oh, no, I like I assumed it was going to happen. I didn't know it was actually done. There's another story. That, uh, another thing happened. Oh, d- does everybody listening know <laughs> what that story is? Am I the you only do. person who doesn't that know? Is, that is correct. That is correct. There's another story. Oh, he got another DUI. 
it, it was a bad one too. It was an extremely bad one. So, oh, bags of empty beer containers <laughs> were found in the vehicle. I'm just, oh, yep. Okay. Oh, <laughs> he said he was. He made mention of Columbus, Ohio, a few times. What? I should. I feel like I and he was this. in Pittsburgh. He was in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and he thought he was in Columbus. Oh, uh, yeah. That did not make it across the pond. <laughs> that story did not make it to Le Mans. No, that was not. Ugh. Yeah, he Bob Huggins announced a resignation <laughs> after DUI. It was not on the news in Paris. I apologize. Dude blew a point two one BAC. Oh, and his daughter posted on Facebook that he just had bags of beer cans because he likes to recycle. So you know. <laughs> This is real. This is not a joke. She said he doesn't have a problem. He drinks just like anyone else. And he often has bags filled with cans because he's big on recycling. Like, come on. Come on. on. So he can get a job. He could be a spokesman for like a recycling initiative for somebody. Good luck to Ren Baker, the West Virginia athletic director who has to oversee like the worst six months in West Virginia. So good luck to them. Anyway, point is West Virginia is going to finish last in the Big 12. I really don't have much doubt about that. I had a friend uh, many moons ago who who was he's a bad driver and he got pulled over and uh, he blew a number on a DUI test. He had not been drinking at all, but his dad had bought a bunch of grapes and they were rotting in the trunk of his car <laughs> and fermenting and like in the process of becoming wine. And he was like, there's just, there's rotting grapes in my trunk. I swear it's not me. So Bob Huggins could have tried that too. The old rotting grapes in the trunk also <laughs> can help you out. I can't believe I missed, I missed all of that. I feel bad. Okay. Well, now I'm caught up. It's good to get caught up on the news live on the podcast. All right. <laughs> Wait, come back. Hi. I'm Bob Huggins. Did you drink 10 beers today? Make sure you don't throw them away. Put them in your car and drive around until you get to a recycling center. Two states away. I did not know. (laughs) But be aware of which state you're in while you're recycling. When we come back, categories for the Big 12 football playoff preview next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Shahan, first category is how many teams in the Big 12 do we think are real like playoff contenders? And 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 again, we do this, we have a way of doing it, we assign, uh, we vote on things, but like, you know, it's not even that, just okay, like we really, you know, the best case version of 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 each of these teams really could get them into the playoff. How how many do you think there are that reach that threshold? And the reason we want to do this is because if we do other conferences, we do want to sort of have a conversation about, hey, we think there's blank number of playoff contenders in this conference, and this conference only has this many. How many in the Big 12? So let me preface this with, if you're asking me how many teams can make the New Year's Six or potentially even win the conference, 
I mean, out of 14, I, I think the ceiling could be there for nine or 10 teams to potentially do that. With that said, I think there's only one team from the Big 12 that actually really? has the ability okay. to make the playoff. Okay. And and I'm going to make you say it. Say it. <laughs> this is you. It's a playoff show. It's a playoff conversation. Name that team. Um, That would be the University of Texas at Austin. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Next up, Steve Sarkeesian to tell Shahan to cram it. I told you we were a playoff contender. Let me ask this. I had three. I had okay. three. I was ex- trying to expand the net. I have Oklahoma. I don't know if I mean it. I probably don't mean it. I, I probably don't. It's probably just a jersey. But the other team I have, I actually, on our Dark Horse conversation that we had last week, Dark Horse playoff contenders, I was waiting for you to pick this team, and you didn't. And I want your official breakdown of this team right now. And it's Kansas State. And we know you love Deuce. You love yourself some Deuce. And he's gone. Deuce Vaughn. Great, great running back. Why not? Why did they not make the Shahan list? And you may as well tell us, because, I mean, we'll get to it eventually. We'll have you read. It'll be like September 23rd, TCU versus Texas Tech. I pick Texas Tech. We'll just do that at the end of the podcast. We'll, you'll <laughs> list the result of every game. What did you have? What do you have Kansas State going this year? And what's holding them back from this threshold? So I think Kansas State is absolutely a team that can win the Big 12. I had them number two in my preseason Big 12 ballot. I had them going 10-2 and two in my game-by-game predictions. So absolutely, they're going to be right there in the conversation. The issue that I have with Kansas State as a playoff contender is I don't know if they have the same level of upside this upcoming year. And the reason that I say that is you look at their roster from last season. Deuce Vaughn at running back is gone. He was like the game-breaking explosive player who bailed them out time and time again. Malik Knowles was a super speedy receiver who I think was extremely important to what they did last year as well. And on the defensive side of the ball, their defensive end, Felix Anadike Uzoma, I I think ended up being a first-round pick and was, I believe, Big 12 Defense Player of the Year. So three really good players who... I think helped give Kansas State a higher ceiling. Now, I don't think the supporting cast was as good, potentially, as what it might be this upcoming year. I mean, when you look at the uh, Julius Brents at corners, another guy is going to be gone who I really like. But I think that when you look at what they bring back, they're going to be really good on the offensive line. The The running game isn't going to be as explosive without Deuce Vaughn, but it's going to be super effective. Will Howard at quarterback emerged as a big-time playmaker for them. And defensively, they still should be really, really good. So I think the floor is really high. I, I just don't know without some of those explosive guys if they have, again, the, the top end level sort of ability to, you know, they, they play Texas on the road on November 4th. That's going to, I think, be a tough game for them. They play Texas Tech on the road. They play Baylor at home. Like the, they play TCU at home. I think it's just a lot to expect them without that explosive component to their game to kind of just grind their way to victories uh, to the tune of 12 and one. I think they can do it to the tune of 10 and two, but just hitting that next gear and, and avoiding really any mistakes. I think it's just a little much for me. And I will say in terms of the dark horse thing, 
I mean, they won the Big 12 last year. I, I almost didn't consider them a dark horse because of that. Oh, okay. But, you know, I, I think that also the path is just pretty hard. They're probably going to have to play Texas twice and probably going to have to beat them both times to make the playoff. It's just a difficult road. And while I think Kansas State is absolutely capable of winning the Big 12 again, I think it might be... I think the good comparison is Utah. I think that it might be a Utah situation where they're really, really good, where they're rolling by the end of the year, but then it just isn't necessarily a playoff conversation. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. It's hard because the TCU path last year is like, well, why can't anyone in the Big 12 follow the TCU path? It's like, oh, you mean the TCU path of just like win a bunch of close games? Like, how did you do this? And you, like be good and smart and tough and pull stuff out at the end. It's like, oh yeah, just do that. It's like, well, that's that's hard to do in a good conference. So yeah, that's out there for anybody. But what TCU did, and by the way, TCU had an explosive back in Kendra Miller. They had a first round receiver in Quentin Johnston. And so I mean, you even within that, you had some explosive guys who can bail you out of situations. And if you're saying, hey, well, they just lost Deuce Vaughn. They just lost their best version of that. That's a real thing. So just because I know you love them, I just I wanted to, to see like where where they're a little short there. But for you to say you had them go in 10 and 2, it's like, okay, well, they're on the cusp of it. But also, we don't want to make this too wide of a net. When I say Oklahoma, do you want to punch me in the neck? What, when, <laughs> when you hear me say that, what do you want me to like? Is that bad? So the thing with Oklahoma is they're going to have a fantastic record this upcoming season, and it's not going to actually mean anything because they have the easy schedule in the Big 12 by a pretty good margin. They, I, I don't know who they bribed on the way out, but they basically miss all the good teams. They miss most of the Texas schools. I think the only Texas school that they play outside of Texas, of course, is Kansas State. Or sorry. Sorry, it's TCU. They don't play Kansas State. You know, purple, whatever. Uh, They don't play Kansas State this upcoming year. Their their home schedule is pretty easy. Their road schedule is very manageable. Like, they're probably outside of Texas going to be favored in every single game that they play. And also, I think that they might be very average. (laughs) And so that's kind of the, the conflict of trying to figure out, like, can they get win 10 games this year? And in my opinion, not be good i just don't see a pathway to them let's say they go 11 and 1 in the regular season somehow i think they're poised to get crushed by whoever they play in the big 12 title game i i just don't think that this is a team i I mean the way that i put it is defensively they were bottom 10 in the country last year and they've added transfers but it's a lot to ask transfers to completely rebuild a defense offensively they lost their top receiver their top rusher their top two offensive linemen and their offense is kind of built on skill position players winning in space. And I don't know who those skill position players are. So, look, if they played the same round-robin schedule as last year, I think I'd probably had them going like seven or eight wins at, at the most. Because of the schedule that they have, they're going to be more in the 9-10 to 10 win range, but they're not a serious contender. I rescind it. I'll take them out. <laughs> I'll make it too. Look at the football outsiders metrics from last year. Defensively, there are only four big 12 defenses that were among the top 25 in the country. Iowa State, Texas, Kansas State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma's not there. There's some really some bad defenses in the big 12, which is going to hold some teams back who might have otherwise interesting offenses. Oklahoma doesn't have, it's just the name. 
I just and I, and I thought, you know, I was enthused by the Brent Venables hire. I thought that was as good of a reaction to Lincoln Riley leaving as you could get. And so a head coaching hire that I liked that in year one was, you know, not great. And now here we are in year two and they have a famous name. I'll take them out. But I will keep Kansas State in. So you have one and I have two teams that could be playoff contenders. Their next category is the spoiler team that could ruin someone else's playoff chances. And it's one of these. You kind of teased it. I have Houston because you just see what Donovan Smith can do on an individual Saturday as that quarterback. He did it last year. He's just I feel like he has a couple 500 yards of total offense games in him this year and you don't know where they're going to come out. But when they come out, he can I think they can beat anybody. Now, their their defense is probably not going to be very good at Houston, but I think they have a chance to outscore anybody in an individual game. And so they could ruin they could ruin some opportunities for otherwise very good teams by winning one of those 55 52 double overtime kind of games. I had Houston as my spoiler. Who do you have? No, I think it's a good pick. Uh, I'm going to go with the team that I consider for a couple of different categories on this list. I'm going to have my Texas Tech discussion right now. And Texas Tech is a team that returns a whole lot on offense. Actually, fun fact, they are 7-0 and when Tyler Shuck starts and finishes games. The issue is that he's only played seven <laughs> for the past two seasons. But he's a, a very consistent player when he's going. They have a lot of talent at wide receiver. They're really good at running back. Defensively, they play a pretty tricky system that not every team is kind of built to handle. And they get Texas in the final week of the regular season which could be potentially a play-in game to the Big 12 championship game. And the other part of this, too, is that last season, Joey McGuire took Texas Tech to eight wins for the first time since 2013, which is, I mean, a big deal, and beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same year for the first time ever. Like, that, Texas Tech had never beaten both of those teams since the Big 12 started in 1996, and he beat them both in the same season. So... You look at that last game, and I do feel like, you know, like we're talking about. I mean, you probably have to look most at Texas in terms of the teams that could shock or beat Texas. I think that Texas Tech is, is a team on that list. I think that Houston is a team that's definitely on that list. But the other part of it, too, is that Texas Tech gets Kansas State at home. Kansas State could be a team that's in the playoff conversation, and then Texas Tech shocks them. They get TCU at home. They go to Baylor. So they play most of the real playoff contenders in terms of painting with a broad brush in the big 12 this upcoming season. And so I do think that they're a team that could cause some havoc down the stretch. So, and, and Joey McGuire and Texas tech did that with two different quarterbacks, Donovan Smith, yep. 373, three, actually. Well, in, in these two games you're talking about, they yes, beat, yes. they beat Texas with yes. Donovan Smith accounting for 373 total yards. They beat Oklahoma at the end of the year with Tyler Shuck accounting for 480 total yards. So when we're having these conversations, you're going with Joe McGuire. I'm going with Donovan Smith. I'm like, this is exactly what this league's going to be. This is exactly what this league, coaches and quarterbacks who can ruin your Saturday. That is going to, there are, don't bet on the Big 12 this year. (laughs) I think there are just going to be games. You are not going to know what's going to happen. Donovan Smith and Houston, my pick, they get Texas and Kansas State back-to-back weeks in late October. 
they're going to blow up the league. I'll mark that down now. <laughs> Houston wins one of those two games. If you think, if the world thinks that Texas and Kansas State are the two best teams in the Big 12, I think Houston's going to beat one of the two of them. You made it in your pick. You had Houston beating Texas. But now we're talking about Texas Tech and and a little more of a foundation. Which is not the last time we're talking about Texas Tech. Is Joey McGuire your favorite coach in college football? <laughs> I mean, look, I... I I'll say this. I legitimately feel awkward and bad because everybody knows I went to Baylor, right? And they keep hiring the coolest dudes that I've ever met. Like, not, not cool in terms of like actually being cool. They actually hired some real dorks, but like going from <laughs> Matt Rule to Dave Aranda with Joey McGuire on both those staffs. It's incredible. These are some of the, uh, like the, the most interesting people I've ever met in my life. I love that Matt Rule is back in college football now. Dave Aranda is somebody I could, uh, you know, people always ask to like have a beer with. I, I don't, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I could have a beer with him, but really I want to just like sit down in his office and talk for seven hours because I could do it. Yeah. He is so interesting. But like in terms of just being around a guy, Joey McGuire is, is, high on that list he the thing that joey mcguire has and i've said this on uh in other places before but i don't know if i've said it here joey mcguire his superpower is being able to go into any room filled with any different type of people and immediately become the most popular and loved person in the room i don't he used to coach in basically south fort worth in a really really black school district doesn't like he can walk into any living room he can walk into any place and he's going to fit right in they people treat him like one of them now he's in lubbock texas in deep west texas he was in waco before that it does not matter joey mcguire is going to come out of any room that he ever goes into with 10 new friends that that's just how he is and i i absolutely love joey mcguire he is so much fun and i i think that when that sort of thing happens especially for a texas high school football coach it can get overrated as like, oh, well, he's going to recruit so well, which he's doing. But like they won eight games with players who weren't theirs either. Like people believe in this dude. Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of Joey McGuire. Hold that thought on Joey okay. McGuire. But okay. I can tell okay. you, you, you hold your thoughts on Joey McGuire always. You just walk <laughs> around. I can see you making a sandwich in the kitchen and your wife being like, Shahan, what are you thinking about? Like, I'm just thinking about Joey McGuire. So <laughs> it's not the last time we'll talk about that. Let's discuss the biggest games. Three biggest games, three most important games of the season in the Big 12. And my first one is Texas at Alabama on September 9th. And I looked at what Texas did in the 2009 season when it made the national championship game. I'm asking. I'm not telling. If Texas wins at Alabama in week two, would it be Texas's biggest win since Vince Young beat USC in the Rose Bowl at the end of the 2005 season? I think that's a, a fair statement. I think it is. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you do have to look at, of course, Texas winning the Big 12 back in 2009. But, I mean, that was a pretty controversial game against Indomitian Sioux that day, too. So I don't think that that was emphatic by any means. They were favorites. So I, I think that it's definitely up there. 2018 Sugar Bowl against Georgia would be another one that I'd consider. But it didn't necessarily lead to anything. And, it, you know, in bowl games, you kind of have to throw out just a little bit. Uh, in the moment, the 2016 game versus Notre Dame, the famous Texas is back game. But, I mean, this is Alabama. This is going on the road. This is the year before they're going to enter the SEC. So, no, I think that it would have to be 
the the next most important game after Vince Young. Did you have Texas winning that game when you did the Big 12 schedule breakdown? I did. Okay. That's big. Mark that down. So <laughs> so this is so I have that so that cuz to me and we'll get into the all the other again we've discussed this is going to be a really good deep conference. But that's the chance for the Big 12 to show something to the world. And if you go out and win that game, I think it I think possibly I mean, if you go undefeated, you go undefeated. But I think it's possible that for the Big 12 to get a playoff team, for the Big 12 champ to get in, Texas has to win that game. Because then it'll either be, it'll, you know, fortify and validate Texas, or somebody that beats Texas then absorbs all the juice of the Texas win over Alabama. But I think even in a world where TCU made the national championship game last year, I think they could use the juice. So I I just think, for the playoff picture, that's number one on my list, even though I don't know if Texas loses that game and runs the table and is a big 12 champ with one loss. And the only loss is on the road at Alabama. They can get in. They can get in. That probably is a resume that gets in. So I don't want to overstate it, but man, it would be big for sort of just the perception of this changing big 12. So that was the number one game on my list. I'm going to uh, go back to a word from the beginnings of our podcast that I don't think we've mentioned in a while. I'm going to refer to absorption. And I think that this is potentially an ultimate absorption game for Texas. So one, if they, if they lose this game, they can definitely still make the playoff, but they have to run the table. Running the table is really hard. And we just talked about this conference. It's going to be pretty tricky in order to do that. And the other part of this, by the way, is that people were like, how can you pick Texas to beat Alabama and then lose to Houston? And I'm like, have you watched Texas for the past 15 years, man? <laughs> like, this is, they get up for big <laughs> games and they get down for not big games. So, uh, but, but there's a, a couple of things, right? One, we can't acknowledge Texas should have beaten Alabama last year in Austin. And yep. Alabama was really lucky to escape that game with a victory. And this Texas team is better than that Texas team from last season. And I think also that Alabama team is worse than the Alabama team that they played last season. Bryce Young is gone. Bryce Young pulled a rabbit out of his hat once again in order to to pull Alabama to victory in that game. And this time it's going to have to be Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner. And I don't think that that in week two of the season, those players are going to be ready to do something like that, too. I think that you look at Texas's quarterback situation right you've got Quinn Ewers as a second year starter who played really well in the first quarter and dealt with an injury after that and so I think you just assume that he's going to be relatively healthy for that game but I also like the fact that they have Malik Murphy back there I think that he gives him a lot of upside if if something were to happen to Quinn Ewers their receiver room's a lot deeper defensively I think Jalen Ford has a case to be the best defensive player in this game in a game against Alabama which is quite a statement and Alabama just has so many questions heading into the season. If this game was happening week 13, I probably wouldn't feel as good about it, but it's happening week two. And this is a historic, not once in a lifetime opportunity, but it's close, right? Because we look at uh, in 2012, Johnny Manziel takes Texas A&M into the SEC and beats Alabama in their first season in the SEC. And that's when it becomes like, oh, you're not going to be South Carolina. You're not going to be Arkansas. 
we expect you to be something now. And obviously they haven't delivered every season, but like it fundamentally changed the calculus of Texas A&M as an SEC program when they went and beat Alabama in their first season. Texas will probably have a chance to play Alabama. I, I can't remember if they if they have them in 2024, but if they beat them on the road in 2023, it'll work the same way. It will be definitive proof to people that Texas is a program that should be taken seriously in the Southeastern Conference. And and obviously, I mean, if they win that game, like maybe they're the number two team in the country coming out of that week, the number three team in the country coming out of that week. It would be, I think, transformational for the way that Texas is viewed heading into this season. And I think that that no one knows that better than Texas and no one knows that better than Steve Sarkeesian. The second game on my list, and by the way, Texas and Alabama uh, do not play in 2024 in the first year Texas is in the SEC. They get Georgia. Yeah, yeah they get Georgia. Georgia, Florida. Yeah, right. Texas A&M. Kansas State, Texas on November 4th. I think Kansas State maybe will be 8-0. I, I, when, when you look at the path and it's not impossible. Southeast Missouri State, Troy, Missouri, UCF, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, Houston. Then at Texas on November 4th. And if Texas has a win under Alabama on its resume, it could be a top five game. It could be two top five teams, Texas versus Kansas State. And again, we keep talking about people getting tripped up. But as you stated early on, it might Kansas State might have to beat Texas twice to be the Big 12 champ. This has a chance to be a huge regular season game at the start of November, does it not? Absolutely. Uh, luckily, it's in the state of Texas, so hopefully I can go down to it on November 4th. But these are the two favorites heading into the year. And there are reasons to, to question Kansas State absolutely as that surefire second team. But if this does pan out, like you said, I mean, at Texas Tech for them on October 14th is a pretty tough one. TCU should be rebuilding a little bit. But at, at Oklahoma State, I mean, I don't think anybody really knows what to expect from them. But I think that it is absolutely possible that they're undefeated heading into November. And if that's the case, like you said, one, this is, I mean, you can almost clinch a spot in the Big 12 title game with a win in this game. And two, I mean, if they're in this position, you can come pretty dang close to saying that there's going to be a Big 12 team in the college football playoff. Now, both teams would have to finish the year strong too, but... That would be a heck of a position for these two teams and also for the league to be in after November 4th. Keep your eye on that. Could be big. And and I'll just throw this to you because the last game I had on my list is November 18th, Baylor at TCU. TCU's won three straight, won seven of the last eight against Baylor. TCU made the national title game last year. Baylor's really good. The state of this rivalry, and I... I don't think it's impossible that one of these two teams is going to be in the Big 12 title game mix this late in the second to last weekend of the regular season. Where is the Baylor-TCU rivalry right now and how big of a deal, how much does Baylor want TCU considering the amazing season TCU had last year? No, I mean, I think it's a really big game. One thing that you have to look at is that Dave Aranda has not beaten TCU during his time at Baylor. In 2021, of course, there's the bizarre Chandler Morris game that uh, where Chandler Morris just goes unconscious in his first game as a starting quarterback. And then last season, Baylor obviously similarly should have beaten TCU and ruined their season and played spoiler. 
and TC runs an all-time fire drill in order to get that field goal off. So, like, we've seen some incredible games. There have been a lot of games, uh, you know, 2020 is maybe to the side, but, like, 2019, Baylor uh, wins in triple overtime, earns a trip to the Big 12 title game. Uh, 2015 and 14, obviously, those go without saying, right? These have been big-time competitive games with not just conference implications, but national implications as well. So I think that, you know, we've, we, I think maybe could have a conversation at some other time. I mean, I think this has the potential to be the signature rivalry in the new big 12 with what these teams have done over the last little bit. I'll put a slight damper on it. Cause I think that these are both going to be teams that are more in the eight win range this upcoming season, just because of what TC loses and what work Baylor has to do. But I mean, again, you look back at the last, uh, you know, decade plus since both these teams joined the Big 12, one of Baylor and TCU is usually in the mix. And yep. I think that that makes it a really interesting game. This was not my third game, though. So where did you, did, were those first two games, Texas, Alabama and Texas, Kansas State, were those your first two? They were, they were. All right. What's your other third game then? My third game, and... and a couple honorable mentions. I, I think that Baylor versus Utah early in the year is going to figure out whether Baylor is a conference championship contender. And similarly, I think Texas Tech playing Oregon early in the year. Both those games at home. One, it's significant in terms of obviously those teams building credibility. Two, I think that if you're the Big 12 winning both of those games sets you up in a really nice place versus the Pac-12 whenever it comes to the college football playoff because both those teams that they're playing are going to be playoff contenders. Uh, but I went. I ended up going with Red River. I think that this will be a hugely okay. consequential Red River. Uh, obviously, Texas, as an overwhelming favorite heading into the season, this is the only game most likely that Oklahoma will not be favored in in, in the 2023 season, looking at their schedule. So this is a must win, right? Like, I, I almost want to frame it like we do Ohio State versus Michigan, where it's, a, it's almost a one-game season. And... If Oklahoma, obviously they're not, I mean, we'll see, but I, I don't anticipate 49 to zero once again in 2023. But if this game really goes south for one of these teams, again, it's going to be an existential thing heading into the offseason. It's going to impact their playoff cases. It most likely will knock one of these teams out of the Big 12 championship game. And especially for Oklahoma. I mean, look at their early schedule. They've got, you know, Arkansas State, SMU at Tulsa. They had a game scheduled against Georgia that they had to cancel, which is why their schedule is so light. But then Iowa State, who could be tricky, but I don't think that they're going to beat that team. And then they played Texas. So we won't know anything about Oklahoma until this game. So, look, I've I've been selling my Oklahoma stock. I don't think that this is a great team, but this is the game where I think that they can prove me wrong and prove that this is something that was just a blip, that they are a conference title contender, and that they do have potentially playoff upside. So I think it'll be a really big one. I'm unfortunately going to be out of the country for this game, so I won't get to see this one live mm. like I do in most years. But, you know, we'll we'll see if that uh, crosses the pond, the, the result of Texas-Oklahoma. I'll, I'll ask about Bob Huggins. I'll ask about Steve Sarkeesian. We'll see what gets more answers. <laughs> it was a big win for Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, Okay, off the radar game that is just like keep an eye on it. Maybe it's not a spoiler. I just put down the introduction of the four new teams. Yeah, and so the first game for one of the new teams is going to be in week three 
Houston gets a little bit of a jump. It's a primetime game, TCU at Houston. And then the other three new teams will play their first conference game in week four. UCF at Kansas State, Oklahoma at Cincinnati, and BYU at Kansas. You made a compelling case for what Texas A&M did when it moved to the SEC. You talk about Texas having the chance to do this a year early with the SEC. How big of a deal do you think it is for, I don't know, one of these four new teams? It feels like like somebody's going to win. Houston will either beat TCU, Central Florida will beat Kansas State, Cincinnati will beat Oklahoma, or BYU will beat Kansas. Is that good for the league? Should they want at least maybe one or two of these new teams to come in and right away knock somebody off? Well, I'll tell you what, if you are the Big 12, I think the game that you have circled is what for me was the most difficult team to project in the entire conference. And that's September 23rd, Cincinnati hosting Oklahoma. Because one, this is an oppor- This is the one time that Cincinnati is going to get to play Oklahoma as a conference opponent. And it's the first, like you mentioned, Big 12 game at Nippert Stadium. It's going to be a huge one for them. And I think that it also will fundamentally change the way people look at Cincinnati in 2023 if they find a way to shock Oklahoma and win this game. So, you know, certainly the BYU-Kansas game is the most winnable of the games. It is on the road. But I think that if Cincinnati were to come in and shock Oklahoma, that that was really high on my list of, of off-the-radar games that will matter. The, the one that I ended up picking was Texas at Houston, but maybe we're at the point now where it's just a game that we're keeping an eye on at this point. But I think that Oklahoma uh, versus Cincinnati game is going to be huge. And I absolutely think that if some of these new teams come into the conference uh, and, and win a couple of these early games, it's going to be big. But I don't think there will be anything bigger than some of these teams coming in and beating either Oklahoma or Texas along the way. Yeah, and Brett Yormack in the conference office, they're rooting for Cincinnati. That's the best thing for the Big 12. Like Yormack, by the way, Yormack. What did I say? Yormack. I say Yormack, sorry. Uh, I pronounced Cavaricci correctly, <laughs> but I said the <laughs> name of the Big 12 commissioner incorrectly can you can you say petiti is is that how you say it no i'm not i haven't gotten up to speed on that one uh yet huggins i got huggins <laughs> bub huggins i got brett your mark i'm still working on that that's like a big thing for the league right like hey we're losing you guys but i don't know is it that big of a deal to lose texas and oklahoma when houston and cincinnati beat them like it's it, it will be interesting and it that's going to be ohio state's out of the state on that September 23rd weekend. Cause that's when Ohio state's at Notre Dame. So the idea, even that like Oklahoma, and I mean, last time Oklahoma was in the state of Ohio, they came and planted a flag in the turf in Ohio stadium. Right. So, I mean like that Oklahoma is here, but it's for Cincinnati. It really is an interesting introduction. And, and that idea of out with the old in with the new and the new just beat the old. I think the big 12 would like that in a big way. All right. Look into the future. We'll do it next on the college football survivor show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
Doug and Shahan back. Shahan, the team that is not a playoff contender now, but will be in five years. And this is why I told you to hold your Joey McGuire thoughts. They're recruiting, man. Right? Like they're recruiting. And you just told the story of why he is. But is it is it Will Hammond, who's their 2024 quarterback, that seemed yes. to have a lot of national interest? Is it like a top 300 national player? Is it possible that in this new world where Texas and Texas A&M are in the SEC, and if you want to be – if you're from Texas and you want to play in a Texas conference, right, can Texas Tech win major with – a, with a dynamic – coach with strong texas roots can texas tech recruit in a way that makes texas tech i don't know if national power is the right word but a playoff contender in the 12 team world is that possible in your mind i i think absolutely you know when i look at teams that i consider maybe not this upcoming season but sort of existentially to be college football playoff contenders. I think that you put to the side Baylor, TCU, Kansas State, and maybe Oklahoma State. Out of the rest of that group, I I think that Texas Tech is poised as much as anybody to do it. You mentioned the Joey McGuire stuff. It's real. It's significant. You look at... uh, (laughs) One thing that killed me with the previous coaching staff is that they did not sign a single four-star player from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex during their entire tenure. That can't happen and for people who don't know lubbock is about five hours west like it is it's isolated it's not right there but dfw is where you have to go that's where they got michael crabtree from right like it's where you have to go and you look at the class of 2024 right now they've already got two players who are four stars committed from dfw you mentioned will hammond he was one of the biggest winners of the Elite 11 camp. Right now, he's rated the mm-hmm. number 25 uh, composite quarterback in the country. I think that's only going to go up. Of course, he was named an Elite 11 quarterback. And they're really in it right now for a receiver named Micah Hudson, who is like the number eight player in the entire recruiting class right now. Like one of the best players in the entire country. He's a Texas Tech legacy, so that does factor in. But you got to land him. Right. Like you have to do the work still to convince a kid who has that many options to come to Texas Tech. He hasn't committed officially as yet. We kind of think he might have committed silently. Maybe it's it's hard to tell right now. But the fact that they're in it for players like that, that it's even an option to do that is huge. And the other part of it, too, is that and this is very much a Joey McGuire thing still is they have invested in a big way in their nil operation they i believe have they're they're one of those programs that has like a base nil program that pays everybody on their roster right now and it's significant right and this is something that i think can be a game changer especially when you compare it to you know some of these other schools that are coming in the conference from the midwest where there isn't as much money around there is money at texas tech there is money in dfw that can head that way so a lot of things are going right. Now, the one thing I was asked on a podcast uh, th- this past week, what's the thing that's going to derail the Joey McGuire thing? Like, obviously, everything is positive and good and everything. Like, is there anything that can knock it off course? 
which was an interesting, uh, interesting way of phrasing it. What a negative question. I know. I know. Everything is so positive. Everything is so positive. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do my boy like that. I can't do Joy McGuire. But, but I, <laughs> the question that I have is Texas Tech sincerely has never won at the highest level, like ever. You look back to the history of the Big 12. They never won the Big 12. They never even won a division. You look back to the Southwest Conference. I believe they only won like two of those things. Like it's it's not very common. Yeah, they, they won two Southwest Conferences and both were co-championships. One in 1994, one in 1976. You have to go all the way back to 1955 when they were members of the Border Conference, the last time they won a conference championship. So, like, we've never seen it. It's not a, we haven't seen it in a while. We've literally never seen it, unless you count, like, the 1953 season under DeWitt Weaver. So, like, it's not coming back to what they were. It's creating something new from scratch, and they're going to have to do it while competing against well-money programs at Baylor and TCU, and Houston's going to be involved, and Oklahoma State's going to be involved, and Kansas State's going to be there. So it's a tough path, but... I mean, it is hard to find a coach who seems more tailor fit to deal with what Texas Tech is dealing with than Joey McGuire. 51 years old, has coached his whole life in the state of Texas, was a 15-year head coach in, in high school, was at Baylor as an assistant for five years, probably in for the long haul, right? That's one of these things, too. Uh, when you're trying to project stuff, is Joey McGuire up five years from now? Well, if you think Texas Tech is on the right path, does that mean that Joey McGuire is gone? I guess if Sark flames out, maybe he would be, right? But otherwise, this guy feels like he's in it to win it at Texas Tech. And so I think, was was this your pick also when you're thinking five years down the line or you just get enthused when I picked it? No, I mean, I so I think it's the right pick. I, I was trying to consider because I did mention Texas Tech earlier. I will also just just to circle back on one thing. Um, Joey McGuire, actually, let me let me first say, one of the things that really upset people with Matt Wells, the previous head coach, was during an interview, he was asked basically like, what are your favorite things about Lubbock? And he was like, a just, just a step slow to answer, right? Where people are like, oh, so he hates it here, right? Like, and, and people, people in West Texas, they do not want to feel like they're less than. That, that is like the worst thing in the world for them. Joey McGuire in his opening press conference said, quote, I will die at Texas Tech. So <laughs> I, just, I missed that one too. I missed that one. <laughs> Listen, if Texas or Texas A&M or Oklahoma comes calling, like, obviously, we'll see what happens. But, like, I also believe him. I think he is very happy to be at Texas Tech. I think he believes he can do some good stuff there. And I think, you know, there's there's an old coach of Texas Tech named Spike Dykes who was very good for a very long time. Actually, Sonny's dad, Sonny Dykes' dad, uh, was the head coach of Texas Tech for, like, 13 years. I think he would love the chance to just get to be that guy and be the mayor of Lubbock. I, I think he is perfectly happy being that at a place. He was at Cedar Hill High School in uh, in Texas for over 10 years as well. So I, I think that Joey McGuire, <laughs> I mean, money speaks and, and it's like Texas could come calling, but like, I think he's very happy to be at Texas Tech and he understands what ails that place more than anybody else. Anyway, uh, Texas Tech was my pick. I, I wanted. I felt like it's like too obvious at this point. I feel like I've talked them up too much this off season. So I wanted to pick one of the uh, the new four programs who I think is best poised to do it. Mm. And I think my answer is UCF because yeah. they're not. They're going to be in a very specific place 
in Florida college football that I think will be good for them. They're going to be below Florida and Florida State. You know, Miami will kind of see what their deal is. But they're going to be very much above anybody else who's recruiting there. You know, I think that players who would have gone to the ACC before, players who would have gone to maybe some of the second or third tier SEC schools, will pick UCF. And they picked a great coach in Gus Malzahn to convince them to come there, who's someone who's, who's recruited at the highest level for a long time. You know, I I feel like I'm a little unsure whether I feel confident that Gus Malzahn will be the X's and O's coach who gets them to that point. But he's going to do all the off-the-field stuff in a very big way. And so maybe it's that by the time that he's ready to move on, somebody else comes in and is able to take this program to the next level. But I think you just have to look at what they've already done, the investments that they've made, uh, the, the engagement with the business community in Orlando. They really feel like they have the ability to set themselves apart. So I think that I'd go UCF as my team of the newcomers. Look, Cincinnati's going to be a big-time program. They were recently in the college football playoff. BYU, I think, is maybe the most underrated of the group because they can be a national brand and a national program. And and Houston's in the city of Houston and is already starting to pay some uh that's already starting to pay some dividends as a Big Twelve program. But I think that UCF is probably the best prepared of the new group in order to be a college football playoff caliber team. All right, let's, let's get down to the real question here. Most likely number of playoff teams for the Big Twelve this year? And my answer is zero. Same. It's just tough. It's just tough in a world where it feels like the SEC maybe has a chance at multiple, where maybe the Big Ten, again, like last year, has a chance at multiple, where it feels like, certainly on this podcast, there's a lot of enthusiasm around somebody like Florida State in the ACC, where we think the Pac-12 has a similar degree of depth, but maybe their depth at the top is even a little stronger and this in a four team world, the top to bottom one through 14 depth works against them. And we'll talk next about how many playoff teams they would get in a 12 team world. They're too good overall and not quite good enough at the top. And I think it's a bad mix in the last year, of the 14 playoff for the big 12. No, I think you're absolutely right. We've seen this at times with the pac 12 where the top team in the conference isn't dominant and that's a big part of the reason that they haven't been in since 2016. And like I said off the top, I only see one team that has the ability to be a playoff team if things break right for them, and that's Texas. And first of all, do I expect things to go exactly to plan with Texas? No, I don't. That's just based on many years of being around this program. But I do think also, like just week to week, it's going to be so hard to not trip up. Because again, if you're looking at Texas... They've got to go on the road, probably beat Alabama, and then not mess up. That, like, that is so right. hard. It's so freaking hard. And for Kansas State, you know, again, the, the early half of their schedule's all right. The second half is pretty tricky. It, it's just a lot to ask. I think that there will be a number of teams that are in the nine win range in the Big Twelve. I think there's going to be. I, I think that when I did my rankings there were like five or six teams that finished six and three or seven and two in conference. And that's a great number, but that's probably what we're looking at. The 12 team playoff is going to fix this right now. Conference depth is bad for you. You want a top heavy conference where you have 
one or two, maybe three really good teams who can absorb the juice of somebody winning those head-to-head battles and then the likelihood of the team who wins that head-to-head battle getting tripped up by somebody else is not as great. That's how you get in the playoff these days. In the 12-team world, that's not how it's going to be. So in a 12-team playoff world, I think the Big 12 would get in too. I think this is this is a multi-bid league because I think you're going to get to a situation where the Big 12 title game is going to be something like number six versus number 10, and they both get in. Or number six versus number 12, but actually number nine lost a tiebreaker and is sitting at home, but when other stuff happens, would get in, right? I just think, Shahan, this conference is built the way it is right now. This 14-team league that's not going to exist anymore. The one year of this 14-team league is built for a 12-team playoff, and they're never going to be able to reap the benefits of it. I think this is a two-bid league in a 12-team world. No, I absolutely think so. I think that Texas and Kansas State are the obvious selections, but Texas Tech could get in that conversation. Baylor could get in that conversation. UCF, if some things broke right, could maybe get in that conversation. Certainly a TCU or Oklahoma State are dark horses there. And that's what it's going to be like, I think, heading forward. I I think that that's one reason to be very optimistic about the Big 12 is that they're going to have a lot of top 12 caliber teams. You know, it's funny to look back at sort of the the recent history and, you know, people go back and calculate dating back to 2014 if it had been a 12-team playoff. It's kind of amazing the amount of teams who probably would have gotten in. I mean, in 2014, you would have been a three-bid league because Kansas State finished number 11 in the country. And I don't think that's going to be an outlier situation. Now, I've, I've made no secret of this. I don't think any of the teams in the new Big 12 can win the national championship. I don't think that any will. But, like, putting two or three teams into the playoff every single year and having teams in the Final Four is... I think that's plenty. I think that they should feel really good about that. And I I think the Big 12, as much as any other league in the conference or in the country, probably benefits from the 12-team playoff more than anybody. July 12th and 13th at AT AT&T Stadium, Big 12 Media Days. First big conference media days coming around the corner. When I As we finish a podcast, Shahan, I like to go through and, and X out the bookmarks that I have. Say, okay, we're done with that. I don't need that information at my fingertips anymore. And as I was double-checking the dates for Big 12 Media Days, I X'd out of Z Cavaricci and Bob Huggins. <laughs> and this is a Big 12 football podcast. <laughs> this is what we do here. I was double-checking the spelling of Cavaricci. And then I also had to double-check the spelling of the Big 12 Conference Commissioner because apparently I can't say his name. We'll do this with the other conferences. I'm not sure who's next, but it'll be either the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12 uh, excuse me, the Big Ten or the Pac-12. We appreciate you guys. But this is this is Shahan money time. Everybody likes it when that's what people are here for, Shahan. When we <laughs> let you loose and you just casually drop in. I didn't even know you did that. You're like, oh, by the way, I've predicted every game of the Big 12 season. It's quite an undertaking there, Shahan. Who did you actually have finishing last in the 14-team league then with that prediction? I... I... <sighs> I just don't see the vision on West Virginia. I, I just don't. I, I think that they're going to be terrible. I don't think they do anything better than almost anyone else in the league. 
West Virginia fans had two reactions to that. Some were like, what do you mean you have us winning three games? We should be winning zero games. And the other fans were like, well, look at our running back who's cool. And I'm like, look at all these other running backs that are cool. And also they have better teams. Like, no, I, West Virginia is a team without an identity right now. And they're, they're going to be better on the offensive line. I think they actually do have a really interesting running game. And that alone is not enough. It's just not. I, I have teams like BYU and like, uh, like Cincinnati, teams that I think are pretty deep and pretty talented. I have them going four and eight. So like, if I have teams like that going four and eight, that's just where we're at right now is I have Kansas going five and seven. Kansas might have the best quarterback in the entire conference in Jalen Daniels. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. It's that kind of year. And having no quarterback experience, the fact that your head coach is going to be taking over as a play caller as sort of a last resort, the fact that they were terrible defensively last year, the fact that all of their receivers are gone and they really only replaced one of them. I, I just, and also by the way, their quarterback who's kind of fun and interesting and probably will pull an upset also completed 55% of his passes last year. So like, I, I just, I just don't see the vision at all, unfortunately. And I, I'm not saying that West Virginia is a lock to finish last, but they're a lock to finish bottom three in the conference. Four big 12 defenses ranked 95th or lower by football outsiders last year, Houston, West Virginia, BYU, and Kansas. So like those four programs, listen, everybody's, Everybody's going to probably score a little bit, but there's the good teams do it on both sides of the ball. And so it's an uphill battle for West Virginia and some of those other teams. All right. Thanks to you guys for making us part of your college football week. Make sure you're reading cbssports.com. For now, for Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 